Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I could not believe my eyes. I had been immensely privileged to be on a special trip with some close friends, a trip that we talked about for probably nearly 30 years, and a trip that had finally come true. Actually, it was like a dream come true. As I write these words and prepare for this broadcast, one that will be broadcast after I return home, actually, I am sitting on a small balcony in Wengen, Switzerland, looking out over the most awesome and inspiring landscape, almost impossible to describe in words. In front of me is a mountain range that appears to be surrounding us, so as I surmise, we are in a valley, and these mountains fringe that valley. Even though it is no longer winter, the tops of these mountains are covered with snow. Here and there the dark, ragged crock protrudes, making the whiteness of the glistening snow around it even more pronounced. I can see the trees and clusters of green all the way to about two-thirds the height of the crests. The mountains are, of course, too high even for trees to grow above a certain elevation. They had told me that this is called the tree line, beyond which trees will not grow. Here and there the tops of the mountains were covered by the clouds, which itself gives the impression of their height. I am told that tomorrow we will take a special train up to the top of one of these mountains, called the Eiger. After the train ride, then a cable car will carry us further up, even beyond that. I can't wait. What incredible views must await us as we make this storybook journey to the top of Europe in this part of Switzerland. The final location is actually a station stop called the Top of Europe, or in the local words, Jungfrau Jock. Already I am awed by the grandeur of the scene. My wife made an interesting comment as we surveyed the beauty around us, the magnificence of creation before us. She reflected about the incredible majesty and expressed her incredulity that people could see this and question God's involvement. I'll share more in a bit. The splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down his life for me. If that Yeah. 
are no stars in the sky And the eagle can't fly Heavens of me There's no feeling like this If that is a Then he took him to paradise If that isn't love The ocean is dry There are no stars in the sky that I was skilled in poetry, then perhaps I might be able to better express the beauty of the creation that I am so privileged to see, and the incredible awesomeness of the landscape we are privileged to enjoy on this trip to Switzerland. The psalmist said it well when he wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. A song comes to mind, O Lord my God, when I, in awesome wonder, Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Saviour God, to thee, how great thou art, how great 
thou art. I had a close encounter with that same grandeur when I looked out from my hotel room balcony that day and when we travelled to Jonghar Fruk, the top of the Europe, the following day. Truly my heart experienced the reality of that expression in song, How Great Thou Art, My Saviour and My God. Strength 
Now with this message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Good morning. Several years ago in one of my messages, I stated and I now unashamedly quote myself, violence is a subculture within Bahamian society. I was gratified to hear that sentiment also being voiced by Dr. David Allen in a message he presented to Calvary Bible Church a year or two ago in which he stated that we now live in, and I quote him now, we now live in a culture of death and violence. I would also add that we live in a violent world. Violence is a part of the negative impact of our globalization. We live in a violent nation. We live in a violent society. We live in a culture of violence. We see it we experience it and we breathe it every day. And what is more, and what is my major concern and focus in this series of messages, our children live in a violent environment. They witness it in the halls of parliament by politicians who curse, holler, and assassinate one another's character publicly. We witness it when labor publicly threatens employers with sabotage. When just about every issue whether it be with teachers, nurses, government employees, and even clergy. Every issue has to be settled, it seems, in court or in the streets with threats, actual destruction of property, and eventually with violence against one another that eventually also leads to death. That's the culture of death and violence that Dr. Allen spoke about. That's what we live in and breathe today in our so-called Christian nation of the Bahamas. But now here's my concern. Violence by and against children has increased tremendously in recent years, all as a result of this subculture of fear and violence. Today, children are not only victims of violence, they are also perpetrators of violence as well. They beat up on one another as well as their teachers. This has created an atmosphere of fear. Children are being warned not to walk home alone, not to take shortcuts. Gangs of young hoodlums attack other children as they make their way home from school. Innocent children get caught in the crossfire of gang wars. Police and security personnel are now necessary on school campuses as well as within the classrooms and corridors as well. Now even adults are afraid to walk the streets, even in daylight, especially women. We are afraid of being mugged, robbed, and violently beaten, not only for money, but sex as well. And that whether you are a woman or a small child, male or female, because not only is buggering a rising problem in our society, but so also is incest. All of these are acts of violence. If a little boy can be kidnapped, raped, and murdered in broad daylight, every other child is subject to the same devilish attack against its childhood person. This subculture of violence and death has caused life to become more violent and more dangerous for children 
than ever before. Today, I believe it's safe to say that most young people between the ages of 10 and 17 has seen or knows someone who has been shot or violently robbed or have committed such violent acts themselves. Events that were mere stories for most of us when we were children, nothing experienced by us or those we knew at the time. In other words, our children today and our grandchildren are now exposed to the kind of violence that at one time was only witnessed by police and criminals or on the movie screen. It is also safe to say that more of our young people are likely to be killed by guns now than at any other time in the history of the Bahamas. In fact, that likelihood has probably increased more than a hundredfold over the past several years. Not only that, children are victims of violence from their parents. They are physically abused in many ways, not only by improperly administered discipline, but also sexually and psychologically. They are abused emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually through parental neglect and wrong or poor role modeling. Children's spirits are being broken every day by mothers and fathers who fail to bring up their children in a godly manner and who use the rod as a weapon of punishment to vent their own frustrations and anger rather than as a means of discipline by which to show their love for their children. What I am saying to you is that a child's exposure to violence is pervasive in our society today and is becoming even more so every day. It is present, I say again, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. Evidence abounds that validate the truth that violence is indeed a subculture of our society. But now why is this so? Why is violence so pervasive in our society that it even impacts our children, both as victims and as perpetrators? And so I want to begin this short series on the topic of violence today, and particular how it relates to families, by looking first of all at the origin and root cause of violence from a theological or biblical perspective. Now amazingly, as to its origin, based on passages of scripture such as Genesis chapter 4 and James chapter 4, the Bible informs us that violence began in the context of the family and within the human heart. And so my thesis to you is this. Since this is true, then the solution to curbing and preventing violence must also first be sought in the home, and in particular the Christian home where the heart of the child can be won. Let's look at these passages briefly to get our study going. Listen then, first of all, to the Word of God as recorded in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offerings. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and his desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? End of quote. Now notice some of the facts derived from this passage. First, Cain and Abel were siblings. They were brothers. Second, both were religious, as we would say today. They brought sacrifices to worship God. Third, Abel's worship was accepted by God, but Cain's worship was rejected. Four, Cain became angry toward God and jealous toward his brother. He felt rejected by God and ashamed before his family. He believed that God was playing favoritism. Five, he vented his frustration by murdering Abel, probably because he couldn't get at God himself. He was actually mad against God. Six, according to the Apostle John, Cain's motives included hatred for the brother. Listen to what the Apostle says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Quote, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. End of quote. Now hatred is defined here as envy or jealousy toward a sibling. Jealousy over the fact that one pleased God and the other did not. One was righteous, the other was not. One behaved properly toward God, the other did not. And so Cain acted out the thoughts of his mind, and he killed his brother. James validates this and gives another motive for violence as well. Listen as I read from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. So first, John says, selfish desires are a cause or motive for violence. Selfish desires. Second, so is envy. He says in verse 2, you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He summarizes by saying that violence is motivated by wrong or sinful motives. Listen to verses 2 and 3 of James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. End of quote. The biblical teaching is consistent, my friends. It is what is in one's heart and mind that causes one to act violently. And so from a theological perspective, violence is the outward manifestation of what one is thinking inwardly and is an evidence of a desire to have one's own way, even if it means doing violence to another and rejecting the word of God. The lesson from this theological perspective on violence can be stated in the following proposition. 
since the home was the originating environment for violence, the home is also the first environment that must be addressed to prevent violence from occurring. Let me repeat that thesis or proposition. Since the home was the originating environment for violence, the home is also the first environment that must be addressed to prevent violence from occurring. This immediately underlines for us then the importance of a Christian home environment or atmosphere. What does it look like and how is it achieved? What is a Christian home environment? What is a Christian home atmosphere? This will be the major focus of our study in this short but current and relevant study on violence in the home and especially as it impacts our children. I trust that you will continue to read the Word of God and study it as we look at this topic together in the days ahead. But unfortunately, our time is gone for today. And so we'll have to pick up at this point next time, Lord willing. Until then, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore evermore to stay. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and not toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when 
happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. 